What's up, brother? What's going on, bud? Dude, so uh, I guess we got to tell everybody about uh, what's happening this spring. A couple pretty exciting things. Yeah, super excited with, uh, you know, with the news you're about to give out. <laughs> yeah, right. So uh, th- I guess the first thing that we're going to announce is that we uh, we have a new relationship with uh, Schedulicity, um, the Schedulicity app, which is a scheduling app. And um, um, I mean, we've been using it for a couple of weeks now. So yeah, it, it's doing everything that I, I, you know, that my previous app was missing, and I'm totally digging everything that you know I'm allowed to do in it. You know? Exactly, it, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I suggest anybody that's looking for a scheduling app uh, for any kind of scheduling to go look at it. We, um, I mean, from our side, it's just been so cool and so easy to use, really. And even our clients are starting to use it now, and, and they're really digging just the ease to make um, online appointments. Yeah, all my clients, you know what I mean? They uh, they can they're to- in total control of making their own appointment with me, mm-hmm. and uh, they really, um, you know, there's a big huge shout out. They love it. Yeah, I, you know what's pretty cool about it too is, um, I mean, we I haven't experienced it too much, but you know, just reading their literature and stuff about it is how. If you have a hole in your book, they'll actually fill it. So, like, it could be a new client or whatever. So, the schedule, the app is actually set up like a like a community, so they can, um, they yeah. they can, you know, they can they can fill your book for you, right? Yeah, yeah. The whole marketing part of it, you know, to help you market your business is is pretty brilliant. Actually, it's pretty genius. It's pretty cool. You know, especially because you know a lot of us that move to a suite, you know, we kind of like we're just starting out learning how to you know operate our own business so right. they, they have these things in place to really help you uh grow your business yeah i love it and um i'm also again i haven't done it yet but um reading it i can't wait for is hey you can actually put products on sale and as your clients book their appointment it'll allow them to it'll let them know that it's on sale and by the way they can buy it even before they come into uh into the shop and then you just hand it to them and send them on their way so I'm pretty excited about trying that option out. I can't wait to until uh, some of the spring deals start coming out, so we can start implementing those. Yeah, and that's not the only thing that that's exciting that's happening with us. I know. Well, you know, officially, what we did is we signed an ambassadorship, so we're doing like an ambassadorship, and um, we're two things that we're super excited to announce is one is that the ambassadorship is with our dear friend Presley Poe. Yep. And uh, so Presley's going to be on the ambassadorship as well, and that Schedulicity is is sponsoring our show that we're doing with Presley Poe in Frederick, Maryland. On April 7th. <laughs> on April 7th. So on April 7th, we're doing a, a, a really cool hair show. It's going to have Presley Poe and, and the newly awarded... Naha Award winner. <laughs> Naha Award winner. That's right. Uh, Blush, Blush in Maine, Maine. That everybody knows on Instagram. And God, her work is incredible. Uh, yeah. And she's teaming up with Updo Guru, Casey Powell. And, and Casey's amazing, too. And um, they're actually going to do a class together as well. So on April 8th, they're going to have a class, like an Updo class. Uh, yeah, up we have crazy. three classes going on April 8th. Uh, and you can learn more about that at PresleyPoeAndFriends.com. Uh, but, dude, that, that's going to be a killer class. Yes, it's, it is. I mean, somebody I, today on Instagram, somebody was like, it's going to be an epic hair weekend, you know, and it's so cool that we can um, that, we, that we're kind of bringing it to Maryland. Yeah. Yeah. And we get to be a part of it and get to. I mean, I, I'm just so excited. I can't wait. I can't wait either. But let's drop a couple more names. So we got Presley Poe. We yep. got Blush and Maine. Yep. We got Updo Guru. Yep. We got uh, from uh, Project Runway, you know, um, Lynn we, Nugent. We got Lynn Nugent and we got um, Ms. Jackie, Jackie Davis. Davis. Ms. Jackie Davis. So uh, Jackie was on the podcast too. So uh, definitely listen to that. But uh, and, and to me, just as cool is we got Ben Mullen from, as our MC. Oh my God. Yeah. He's MCing the whole whole thing. And that guy's a riot. And anybody who knows Ben Mullen, he, he has uh, the Ben Mullen Project. Uh, if you ever wanted to do public speaking, he has the class to take. 
A hundred percent. I mean, like if you ever want to um, present in front of a stage or even present in front of your uh, your salon staff or, or you know whatever. I mean, Ben's got this just, just this incredible program. Also, we have hashtag Presley Poe that Cosmoprof is. Uh, you know, underwriting for us, which has been fantastic. We the outreach for that has been incredible. Yeah, it sure has. I mean, we um, I, I mean, just the entries have been incredible, right? So I know Presley, I know Presley's kind of nervous because she got to make a pit. Yep. <laughs> you know, she actually called me and was like, "Oh, I don't know what to do. There's so many great entries here." But I mean, again, let's just thank Cosmoprof Beauty um, and uh, Megan Gantz, Really, let's just thank them a lot for 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 supporting this. Yeah, oh, I, dude, I am so stoked. You know what I'm stoked about? What's that? about saying it okay can i say it is yeah. it time is time. it time is it time is it time so for the very very first time we'd like to uh hair industry and schedulicity presents your day off podcast hey hey this episode is brought to you by shopify forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to shopify the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I sit with my best buddy, Tony. What's up, bud? What's up, man? Hey, man, we got a, another great podcast uh, in store for you today. Completely, man. And this one is like, is, is I'm, I'm really excited about because, you know, one, we've, it's taken us, um, I don't know, eight months to kind of like to nail down and to get to it. Um, but I'm also really excited about the topic. Yeah. And, you know, this individual that we're going to introduce you to, uh, you know, he's been on our podcast before, but I mean, he, he knows our industry. He's been in it. He all sides of he knows our industry yeah exactly and like uh i'll tell you too sometimes i text him just for like just for stats you know hey what's the stat on this and like and and without fail you know uh, well we're talking to gordon miller from um from hairbrain the hairbrain ceo today but without fail he'll within seconds he'll give me like some kind of stat i think a couple weeks i was like how many licensed hairdressers are there in america and like you know less than 30 seconds later i i got a i got an answer (laughs) (laughs) encyclopedia miller over there we don't google we gordon <laughs> <laughs> that's so true so uh, anyway cats out of the bag uh please welcome mr gordon miller ceo of hairbrain uh gordon welcome to your day off hey thank you guys i uh i have to say i i don't think i've been on the podcast before have i we recorded one but i don't actually ever think we put it out well you know, the three of us uh, i guess uh, you've been on my podcast yeah yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, okay yes you were Right. <laughs> and you know, I think Gordon, I'm a, I'm said a big fan. Best, Gordon said that was his best listen to a podcast. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I say that often to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. So um, I guess we teased the topic um, in the read there, but, um, but so what Gordon's going to talk about today is the state of our industry. So, you know, um, Gordon's a great resource. Again, he knows all the numbers. He knows the facts. Um, he, uh, this is what he does, you know, so I, I kind of want to get into it. So, you know, I, I'm going to just throw it out there, you know, in a broad manner, Gordon, what is the state of our industry? The state of our industry, big, big, big picture. I, I've said for years, and I, I believe this so, so deeply is that we are first and foremost, generally a reflection of the larger world around us. You know, that's our context. When things are good in the general economy, things are good in our economy. And we don't lag too much behind it. You know, consumers behave in a certain way and they, t- they typically do it across all kinds of categories. And 
So if they got money to spend, of course, we're a priority. We're doing great. I think, you know, today the economy is good and there's bad. And so, you know, we're, we're the beneficiary and, and also the, the victim of that, I think. And it also depends on what part of the marketplace you live in. I think that's one of the most important things for me, um, big picture, when we talk about the state of the industry. I, we are almost like many industries within one or, or there's many parts and pieces and, and they're not all the same at the same time. And I think that's the deeper conversation of what are the, what's going on with the parts and pieces. Uh, if you want to take one as an example, just to explain what I mean, you know, the commission salon side of our industry versus the independent side, and they are not necessarily in the same place at the same time because there's an evolution of business models. So, you know, if I was talking about one part of the industry specifically, men's grooming, it's exploding. Right. Um, you know, and other parts of the industry are not. So I, I think it's a more complicated conversation. And I think the, the nuances is where we get ourselves in trouble collectively because we, we look for simple answers and that's not the world we live in. That's very fair. So, um, so you said grooming is where we're blowing up. Like, where do you see like in our industry, like, um, you know, something that that's struggling now that maybe wasn't yesterday? Um, well, and again, grooming is, 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 you know, again, context, it's everything is relative. So when something's blowing up, it's relative to what it was before it started blowing up, right? So Fair. we know the men's category is not a very big category in the industry. It's like every study I've seen is, is we seem to be in that 20% of the client base of all clients that tend to be guys. The average guy doesn't go to a salon very often, if ever. And, and also the average guy doesn't necessarily ever make it to a barbershop. So relative to what it's always been, it's blowing up. We also seeing just lots of new products coming out. So it's going to be interesting to see if the industry can support this, like, I don't know, it's, it's like the, the fire hose of men's grooming products has opened up, right? And it's exciting to see. And it's exciting to see all these amazing artists who are doing all this great work. And I would argue that barbers, if you look at what's happening with consumers on Instagram, it, it might even be bigger than hair color. It's insane. You know, when you really, really look at the content. Um, so and back to your question, you know, what, what's not doing as well? You know, I, I think that um, if we're talking about quote unquote trends, you know, that I would say I'm not the trend guy when it comes to hair trends. And I think, you know, some people are starting to tell me, though, that like the vivid color thing is starting to slow down and there's a lot more interest in, in naturals. And I know for a fact, talking to many manufacturers and, and you mentioned numbers before, I tend to triangulate the numbers like we have the worst data as an industry. So when I say to somebody that, that the answer so the question is X. The, the caveat is, is always I'm triangulating multiple sources to try to get to as close to what we think reality might be. And sometimes it's good data and sometimes it's not. But what I'm hearing across the industry from brands and for those who are close to brands is that we're definitely seeing a decline in sales of Vivids. And so, but it's being offset by an increase in sales of naturals. Right. So that's just the, the that's just the trend there, then, right? Hair color remains the biggest, you know, chunk of money in the professional beauty industry, and has been for a long time at the salon level. And then, of course, anything at the salon level translates, you know, over to the distributor and to the manufacturer. That's funny because usually, you know, like like when you were talking about uh, social media, you do you see kind of a battle. You you see a lot of vivids and you see a lot of natural, like especially salons, <laughs> and you know what I mean, but, just. But remember, so here's what I would say about that. And this is fascinating. I, you know, I love just kind of get wonky and geeky about all the stuff that's going on around us. I remember like about a year or so ago, I was talking to my good friend, Nina Kovner. We were on the phone and I was sitting on a bench with my dog and we were, I don't know, 50 feet away from a bus stop. And this is a stop where lots of buses come by. And I, we were talking about this topic and I, a bus pulled up and I'm like, I'm, 
I saw a vivid walk off the bus and I'm like, Ooh, and I'm going to start counting them. Like how many people in the general population do you see a lot of vivids? And I think as a tr someone who travels a lot, I said, the answer is no, go to a hair show and they're everywhere. <laughs> go, go, go on social and you see a lot. But my question is how much of the reaction is coming from the consumer versus the hairdresser? Because I think as creative people, our industry, we're just drawn to that work because it's so stunning, you know? Mm -hmm. And, but, but what does that really mean in the bigger, bigger industry? You know, like, again, talking to people who are in the business of selling vivids, you know, there seems to be a perception that perhaps a lot more of that's going for personal use by hairdressers. I'm not saying by any means that it's the majority, but a bigger chunk of that product sales collectively is probably going to hairdressers from what I'm being told versus other categories of color. Interesting. That, that's really interesting. Actually, I mean, I had never kind of thought about that, that, um, you know, as hairdressers, not only are we buying it out of the stores, but we're also the end consumer for, mm -hmm. for the most part. You know, you're certainly seeing, you know, a lot, again, like you said, relative, relative like, you know, um, you certainly do see a lot more on the street than you do now, but do you see oh, yeah. enough on the street to like sustain a business, you know, if hairdressers weren't yeah. The other thing that's exciting, though, I think about Vivids, I, you know, it's, it's um, what do they, they talk about gateway drugs, you know, marijuana <laughs> is a gateway drug to something else. And I, I think, you know, Vivid Colors might be a gateway color drug, if you will, for the consumer when you're young and, you know, getting into hair color, you, we may see as people get older that they transition from the Vivids into something more natural, which to me is a bigger spend over time anyway. So it's all good. I think, we, I think we call that uh, chemically dependent. There you go. <laughs> From our friend Robert Cromings. That's he. <laughs> chemically dependent. Exactly. He coined that term. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Robert. That's awesome. So, uh, so, you know, I think it's a good segue too. So talking about hairdressers and talking about uh, Instagram and stuff like, like what's the state of like, well, first off, how do we define what an influencer is one? And then, you know, what's mm -hmm. the truth and what's the, about that influencer game? The, how you define it, that's an interesting one. And then, you know, you, you can Google that one. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you well, know, I think the, the question I think on influencers, you know, first of all, you know, who's putting what label on whom? You know, do we, right. we call ourselves that? You know, I, I always love the old, you know, like I'm a platform artist. And um, sometimes, you know, especially looking at some younger people, I kind of go, I haven't seen this person yet. I wonder who this is. And I kind of look around and I'm like, okay, so they were in a hotel ballroom and that little platform was in a 10 by 10 booth and it was like <laughs> six inches off the ground and more power to them. You know, I love, right. it. you know, I, lo I love everybody, you know, getting out there doing their thing. But, you know, when do you become a platform artist versus an educator? Because I think there's a progression. You know, I think, you know, you've got that person who is a baby educator and, you know, I think like everything we do, like when do you become a colorist, you know, versus a hairdresser? I mean, these are all, there's no simple answers to these and it's all based on opinion. And so I think the same with influencers. I, I look at being an influencer generally as like a job description. You know, I, I think when you take it seriously enough that you do it, you know, that you, A, you've built a following. We have micro-influencers, you know, now. That's another title, if you will. Um, and then, you know, you kind of work your way up. And then there's all the math around this stuff. You know, can you be an influencer if you have 500 followers? Um, maybe. And I, I tend to look at influencers saying that, when you're being compensated, you know, I would put you in the category technically of what I would view as an influencer. Because again, can you be an educator if no one's paying you money? 
but you do right. educate you. Yes, you absolutely sure. can be. But when we're talking about the bigger industry and we think, well, how many people are educators? Well, we don't really count the people who aren't getting some form of compensation. I believe in the influencer space. If you're getting a box of product, that that's a form of compensation because they're trying typically to trade stuff for your influence. So I would say that, you know, that potentially makes you that, but there's not a lot of data. There's almost no data on how, how many influencers are that they're in the industry today. Um, talking to lots of them, I would say very few are making much of a living. I mean, that's just reality, but we also know in our industry that very few educators are making much of a living. When you look at, there's like 40,000 educators in this industry. Um, it's a lot of people. When you look at the fact that a brand like Redken has well over a thousand educators, you know, wow. on their roster, you know, you start to add up all the brands, the numbers add up really fast. And we're a very large industry, you know, close to 850,000 working hairdressers. And, um, and so when you think about that, it takes a lot of educators, right? It takes a lot of people, it takes an army of people to keep all of us educated and up on all the things that we need to be up on. So back to influencers, you know, it's a loose term, but, and I think every hairdresser has influence. And I think to become an influencer, you hopefully get a large enough following and you get interest of brands to the point where they want to trade you something for your influence. And whether you accept that or not, it's up to you, which is why a lot of influencers get so much stuff and they don't always talk about it, but sometimes they do. Sometimes they do. So, I mean, we, I guess we kind of live, live in this weird, you know, kind of world now, you know, with on so many levels, <laughs> on so many levels, right. I mean, don't even know where to go with that. Um, but do you know do you know what brands are looking for to be an influencer, or what they're looking for to 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 support you? It's you know it, it's interesting because it, it I, I would say that is definitely very fluid. You know, um, it's a fairly new idea. I think you know, um, different brands have, are in it in a different way, mm -hmm. and I think it's become you know then there's the supply and demand aspect of it. Many of the folks that we have as mutual friends who live in this space, you know, are are in a really great spot today, very different than where they were two years ago because they are so in demand. So you get to a certain level and you have opportunity to work for brand X, you know, versus, you know, brand Z and, and you get to make that choice, you know, which is, is very, very cool. And if you look at that high level, it's, again, I, I, I think influencers are in many ways the new platform artists, you know, they're, they're just a different version of an older idea. And many of them today, when we go to beauty shows, they're on the platforms and the brands are helping them to be there. They're giving them a place. The shows are giving a place, they're giving them the training. So you have all that stuff happening. So I think depending on the brand and where they are in kind of the larger ecosystem of the industry, the big brands, for example, they want people who they can look at and say, yeah, we can put them on our stage and they'll be good. <laughs> right. And, you know, I mean, and, and, and again, you know, again, we have so many of these guys who are our friends. Who, they didn't grow up necessarily as educators or platform artists. They, they grew up as hairdressers who saw a medium where they could express themselves and they did it really well. And then people started talking to them and that inspired some of them to, you know, do it in a different way, a deeper way, whether it's creating content or going to meetups or being out in the real world. So, you know, they're, it's, it's, they're all a little bit different, but I think from a brand perspective, they want people who can authentically speak about a product, ideally, um, or I love the authenticity thing. So, um, because most of us can become really authentic if the paycheck's big enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that's not a knock at all you know i mean again so many great educators have many brands they could work for because they're a great cutter they're a great hairdresser and 
you know, there's so many great product companies, you know? So if you're working for a great product company and you end up at a different great product company, I, mean, I don't think that's a bad thing. And I don't think there's anything inauthentic about it. You know, um, we all, we get jobs, you know, are you inauthentic because you went to work at a different salon? You know, so, I mean, so again, I, I think just, we know a lot about how the world works and I don't think it's that different in the influencer space, but I think brands are looking for people with a following. Um, depending on how large the following, just like old school platform artists, you know, the bigger the audience, the bigger the paycheck, you know. Actually, Gordon, you brought up a good point that um, that I think is kind of like different too. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but um, like we do see influencers, you know, um, jump around brand to brand now, right? I mean, we see that, you know, I, I don't ever recall coming up in the industry that you would see different, you know, different artists jump from brand to brand. Like, it seems like if you were an artist in X brand, then you, you, you were kind of at that X brand until, until the end of your you know, brand platform. for life. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, it is interesting. I guess maybe that's the, that's the caveat or that's the empowerment of being a brand before the brands, you know, seek out your services, right? Like, like you yeah, have some. Yeah. I mean, and again, I don't think it's completely different because we do have old school examples, you know, that have people who go across categories, you know, so a good example, we mentioned Robert Cromings, you know, so Robert, you know, iconic, you know, with Paul Mitchell, I mean, he has been seen, you know, talking about officially um, Millennium as an example. Now Millennium has a great relationship and with Paul Mitchell. But Robert, you know, you know, has been out there and, and definitely talked about Millennium in a way, you know, that makes some people think maybe there's a deep relationship. I don't know if there is or isn't. But so I think there's, you know, examples in the old school, the new school version of that. Yeah, they're cross brands. But you don't see, you do see some if they have enough reach where they're working with multiple color brands. But a lot of times you see an influencer, quote unquote, or brand ambassador who works for Olaplex, who mm -hmm. also works for Redken, who also has a tool company they're working for. Mm -hmm. who also is working with color track and, you know, um, talking about bowls or our friends over at Framar. And so I think, yeah, there's definitely, it's different, but I think the ideal is they're working across categories, not necessarily competing brands. Yeah. And you're right. E even someone like Sam Via, right? Perfect example. Own, Perfect. Yeah. You know, with Ridkin, he has his own tool line and, you know, that's another person that's jumping multi-brand. I love that yeah, you mentioned but he's his own brand. Well, you know, I, yeah, well, but, but I, I love that you mentioned Sam. So going back, I'm going to say, oh gosh, I'm going to take a guess, maybe eight years or so ago, I used to do um, reports for certain brands and and um, some consultants in the industry, and I would track what was happening in terms of who was influential. There were no such thing as an influencer back then, but this was in the early Guy Tang days. Guy was blowing up. Mm -hmm. And Sam V, I would do quarterly reports and I would track all the numbers. And I was fascinated. It was FaceTime, uh, Facebook land. You know, it wasn't Instagram at that point. But Sam and Guy Tang, you know, were fighting for number one and number two place month after month for a couple of years. Sam was one of the original influencers. I, you know, and to me, Guy Tang was the original influencer before there was a name. But um, Sam is a fascinating guy, you know, who kind of old school guy who's got his, you know, a foot in each side of, of, of this conversation. You know, old school platform artists. Um, and influencer, definitely. He's probably the best example of somebody that's kind of like transitioned into 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 both sides. And he's such a great guy, you yeah, know. Yeah, like, yeah. He's just such an amazing guy, and and, and to the industry. I mean, he walks the floor and and and, and yep. mingles with people. He's never you never kind of see him backstage because there is no backstage yep. for Sam. You know, his backstage is the floor and and being with the people. And 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 I, I have just mad mad respect for 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 Mr. Sam. You know.
And a yeah. pioneer, a pioneer in digital. I mean, seriously, he was doing video content almost before anybody, you know, and again, he and Guy in different ways were doing similar things. And Sam was preaching, you know, I was an early kind of evangelist for social and digital and Sam was right there, you know, and pushing Redken to, to really get deeper into this. And they were lucky to have him. And, and, you know, outside of kind of brand thought too, Sam was like, let's do it for free. You know, let's do it for mm -hmm. free. Yeah. And let's let's offer that as as the uh, as the currency, you know, as, as just the education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he built a following, like almost a cult following, you know. Completely, he does definitely has a cult. All right, all right, Gordon. Now, now the tough questions. Where where do you stand, or where do you see the um, the industry as far as uh, let's get into like you know the salon suites. Let's get in a little bit to what what's happening in Washington State, and and compare that to what's going on in the commission world. Again, it's, you know, it's a transition in business models. You know, I, I used to get in trouble years ago for being quote unquote pro booth rental going back, you know, 10, 15 years. And um, booth rental has been really strong and actually the predominant business model in California for 30 years. You know, so to me, it's not a new thing. And if you were to go in different pockets of the country, you know, it was, it was really strong. And if you were to look at, you know, the ethnic markets, the African American community in particular, it's been 90% plus um, booth rental for as long as anybody knows. I mean, it was a predominant business model and still is. So it's not new. Um, and I think, it, you know, it, it fascinates me um, when you look at kind of what young people are told when they come into the industry, you know, it's like, why should you do this? Well, it's creative. Um, it has flexible hours. You can um, make your own hours in a sense. You can be your own boss someday. You can own your own salon. And I, old school, I was like, hey, everybody, don't get so excited about booth rental because you just described it. You just said to young <laughs> people coming in the industry, you get to be your own boss. And the easiest way to do that is to rent a chair or, or to now have a suite. So, it's, you know, different strokes for different folks. And I, I've long said that, you know, the growth in booth rental, and I really do believe this, you know, talking to a lot of those who've gone into rental, you know, as a result of the failure of great leadership, you know, on the other side of the coin. And I think, I don't think that people come into this industry to be their own boss. It's, it sucks. It's hard. You know, it, you just doubled your work, you know, now you've got to be a great hairdresser and you've got to be also your own boss if you're independent or somebody else's boss. And you don't, you don't get to let go of one of them. <laughs> you have to do both. <laughs> That's when the average person who comes in this industry, I don't think when they were, you know, a sophomore in high school was waking up every day going, oh man, I just can't wait to cash out at the end of the day and do the math around the, the, the money that came in and do my inventory. <laughs> it's like, I'm so excited. You know, no, it was about being creative and with people and serving and, you know, and just and, and having that artistic life and lifestyle. So, but I think often it's like some believe right or wrong on the, depending on the circumstance that the only way for them to get to the next level career-wise is to go the independent route because they're just not getting what they need. And I think sometimes, again, context, we talked about this earlier, it's so easy for us to judge what, you know, we, I think we're born wanting to judge people. It's like one of the things people love to do is, is judge other people's circumstances. And I think it's easy when you're in a certain category to look across the fence and go, oh, those people are bad. And I think often it's because we don't understand them or the category or that individual person's journey. You know, if you've come out of school and you've got talent and you end up in three bad salons in a row because it just happens to be what happened, well, you know, it's easy to see why that person might have made a choice to go independent. And I, I, I have trouble judging them and I have trouble judging the category collectively. It's actually easier for me to judge commission salons 
only because again, I, I see that similar to what we just mentioned, people coming into history who weren't really equipped to be owners became owners and then they struggled with it and then they lose people and then judgment happens. So where do you, where do you see, do you, do you see a continued growth or do you think that, um, that we're plateauing a little bit with the, uh, with the uh, independence of the Swedes? I don't think we've, I don't think we're done. You know, I think the transition will happen and, you know, things get momentum, you know, and that's the other, it's, it's, it can be good and it can be bad, you know? So sometimes it's, you know, the, um, we talked about influencers again, there's so much great buzz about influencers. So now people want to be influencers. When I talk to young people coming out of school, the majority of them seem to want to be platform artists, you know, and I, I usually tell them, well, you know, it's, there are only so many of those jobs and most of them actually want to be Robert back to Robert again. And I'm like, well, you know, unless you take them out, I don't know how, you know, I don't know because <laughs> he's, he's in the game and he's in it in a big way. Um, and so, you know, I think um, that people, you know, again, aspire, you know, for many reasons to, to do certain things, certain ways. And so I think we have a ways to go in terms of the transition. And I think because the momentum is in that direction, it's hard to slow down. The middle of the market in the commission salon um, part of our industry is stressed. The middle of the market in retail, not beauty retail, retail generally is stressed. The middle of the restaurant industry is stressed. The, the middle of the market across the entire country in our economy today is stressed out. Luxury is doing great and value is doing great. So if you're in those markets, it's great. If you're in the middle, it's hard. So it's, and it, when it's hard, those who are working in those parts of the market, they're looking for a solution. They're looking for a way out to find a better life for themselves. doesn't mean it's sitting over there. Grass is always greener, you know, right. but I think that is, we are in the midst of that momentum. And I, so I think it's got a ways to go. Sweets is a whole nother story. I think, you know, sweets is a real estate game. You know, if you look at the sweets themselves, and I think we don't often talk um, about the bigger business of sweets because they're, uh -huh. la they're landlords. You know, we, we tend to talk about sweets as, and the hairdressers and what they're up to. But I think it's an, another interesting conversation to talk about the business model and what it's, what is driving it. And it's, it, you know, these are landlords. And so it's, it's a different kind of business and um, it takes a lot to build one out and there's all the economics of it. We don't have much data at all. I would say we have almost no data. They're private companies. I'm, what I'm hearing talking to people who work in suites is the turnover is, is starting to, I don't want to say explode, but there's a lot of turnover is what I'm hearing across the country is, yeah, I've had three neighbors in the last 12 months, you know, in the same suite, you know, mm -hmm. as an example. And I'm, I'm all for suites. So I, you know, I'm fascinated with going, what's going on, but we don't have data. So it's hard to judge, but I, I think they're going to have the same challenges every other business model in this industry has, which is there's a little bit too much of everything. Again, too much, too much of everything in America, I would argue. Too many restaurants, too many dry cleaners, too many salons. And, and that stresses the market because it's supply and demand. And I think this, the same is going to be true of suites rather soon. I think what's missing in our industry too is that I don't, I haven't seen it if it's out there. I mean, you know, you have, you have some of these great like business consulting companies, like um, we've had, you know, quite a few people on from Summit and stuff. And mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's this great like, like if you want to open a salon, there's these great resources, you know, but, but, but I think that there's a little bit missing in our market. Like if you want to do, if you want to move into a salon suite, you know, there's not really that kind of like business management that I've seen, you know, that can kind of help you see that, or, you know, does it need to be, I mean, I almost argue that you almost have to do it across the entire industry, like start educating people about what you need to do to move into 
a salon suite because if you're in a salon now, your owner doesn't want to hear that you're exploring, you know, or, or taking a, a management class, you know. So if we had like the education across the entire, the, the entire industry as opposed to like seeking it out for yourself, I think there's a big market space in there. Well, you know, Ryan Whedon, um, Masters of Balayage, has written a great book on it. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't remember the title, but um, I know that you know, I've read it. It's a it's an easy to read book. It's very digestible, and it's all about becoming becoming a six figure you know suite owner. I didn't get that quite right, but um, so check out Ryan and Masters of Balayage for his book. I think it's a great great resource. Nina Kovner, you know, Passion Squared, she has a school. She also does coaching. I mean, she's a great coach. And I know she works with many people who are going through that, that thought process, that transition. I recommend Nina always for, for this specifically. Um, but I, again, go back to the larger industry, even business education generally. Summit's amazing. You know, Michael Cole and all those guys, I, I love Summit. I love what Summit's done. But when you look at the larger industry, you know, close to 300,000 salons, and you like, how many of them are taking advantage of business education or coaching? How many of them are taking advantage of hairdressing education? It's, it's a small number. So I, I think the larger problem is lack of demand. And that's why we don't see some of these businesses. There's, there's just not enough demand. And we know there should be. Right. Do you see uh, like Amazon plan uh, a future in our industry uh, on the influence of our industry in the future? Well, we're on, we're on camera so you can see me. I got my Amazon shirt on. I got my Amazon headphones on. I got my Amazon jeans and I got my Amazon socks and underwear on. Uh, so I promise to the audience, I ain't showing you guys all that. But, um, but I, you know, I, again, I was at a, a great uh, educational program called um, uh, the Foundation for L'Oreal Professional and, and 200 some educators this weekend and having this conversation with many people and talking about, you know, how you do social and how you do digital well. And, you know, one of the things I always say to people is, you know, you need to really pay attention to the behavior of the people that you serve, whether it's your clients, if you're behind the chair, whether it is your employees, if you're an employer, you know, whether it is your students, if you're an educator, you need to pay attention to their behavior and kind of think more broadly and not judge everything based on your own. Um, I ask an awful lot of people who work in this industry and beyond if they are actively playing on Amazon themselves and almost always the answer is yes the world is has kind of taken on Amazon they are a force to be reckoned with and because clients are using it we start to get expectations on how certain things should be you know just like um, people who go to great hotels and great have great service start to have expectations about service in every part of their lives and so that's why luxury salons step up their game because that's the customers that they attract I think um if the world is using Amazon, I think it's going to have an impact on us. And we don't quite know what that looks like, but people want to buy stuff online. And I think um, big picture, the industry has never been able to kind of crack the retail code. It's not one of our core competencies as an industry. We have all kinds of amazing product. We have all kinds of success stories, you know, in, with specific brands, but generally we're not very good at it. So a lot of money is being left on the table. And I would argue that Amazon's going to pick that money up. Yeah, no doubt. Um, do you do you do you see or have you heard any whispers about like them buying out one of the 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 larger distributors? Oh, we all kinds of whispers about all kinds of things. <laughs> 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 the uh, I'll put I'll, I'll put a whisper out there. Maybe Amazon wants to buy Hairbrand. You know, <laughs> it's gonna co- it's gonna cost a lot, but they have a lot. So call me Amazon. <laughs> there have there have been there have been whispers. Yeah. And, and how do you, how, I mean, how is that going to affect our industry? Right. 
I, you know, I, who knows? I mean, I think, you know, the, the, so the big reality is, you know, that, you know, we have all these great products, right? We have all, all this great stuff, you know, that, that companies make to, you know, make things happen in the salon and to, and to support what's happening in the salon when people go home. And, you know, you just have to say, look, you know, pretty much everybody buys stuff to take care of their hair and everybody, including everybody goes to salons. And yet the majority of people who go to salons don't buy that stuff from salons. And so, okay, so what's wrong with this picture? You know, you, you could argue that perhaps, we don't know the answer, that it's a distribution problem. And I mean distribution from the salon, you know, from, from everybody to that client. And so if, if the client's not taking advantage of that and yet it's great product, you know, they're probably missing the marketing message. And if, if it can reach them a different way, by way of technology, by way of Amazon, by way, what, whatever, um, it's going to happen. And it's, you know, it's kind of, there's cracks in the, in, in, in the business model, I would say. And, and those cracks are going to let stuff seep in if it's attached to money. And it, one of them might be Amazon. Time will tell. Yeah. That's what um, we, Daniel Mason Jones once said, you know, uh, the product companies are in it, they're a business. They're in yeah. it to sell products. And if we don't do it for them, they're going to find somebody else that will. Well, you know, old school, and you know, the, the world's changed. I don't think the, the things that I was used to seeing even 10, 20 years ago are remotely the same as today. But, you know, the never-ending conversation for years was about product diversion and, you know, products being bought other places other than salons. Um, and these, some of these products were, the promise was they were salon exclusive. You know, my, my dad was an old school sales guy and sold office furniture, actually very high end stuff. And I remember talking to him about, you know, exclusivity and, and, and he was always like, I got to hit my numbers. I got to hit my numbers if I'm going to have this line exclusively. So exclusivity is a contract, if you will, even if it's not a formal contract. You know, if someone gives you something exclusive, they expect you to deliver performance. And if you, you have exclusivity and you don't sell the stuff it's really hard for whoever made the stuff to maintain that contract, if you will, you know? And so I think what, what, what happened over time is big, not even big brands period who were making and, and, you know, pushing stuff out there and going through the salon channel that weren't succeeding said, we got to do it a different way authentically or maybe a little dishonestly sometimes or whatever <laughs> we got to do it we got to we got to sell more stuff and the channel we're, we've offered exclusivity isn't performing so things start to shift and i think the hard part was you know that it was not an easy conversation to the for the industry to have and we still haven't had it in the way we should have it and and by the way i don't think exclusivity i think it's great when products get out into the larger world because the bottom line is and it's been said for years that Look, if, if people become aware of a product, because our stuff isn't isn't even advertised for the most part in mass, right? So you, you know, you see, you see um, Garnier, you know, on TV, you know, but yet we don't see most of our professional brands. So the, the consumer doesn't. So a lot of consumers don't know our stuff, you know. But when it gets out in other ways on mass shelves, people see it. And then you walk into your salon and someone's cutting your hair, and you see the product being used that you saw at Sephora. Okay, hairdresser, here's your moment sell me some stuff. <laughs> and by the way, I'll say this to our, our, your audience. If you don't sell, if you don't make an attempt to sell me the stuff that's in your salon, I assume that you don't like it or you don't think it's right for me. So you just might've done damage to yourself and to the brands that you represent by not taking the time to tell me you like it. Cause I'm like, well, I got this stuff all around us here in the building and she hasn't even mentioned it to me. That's the one product I'm probably not going to buy. Cause she, I, I'm kind of inferring in my head that, it must not be right for me. I actually think that's a great point. 
It is right. Like I've never thought about that, Gordon. So I, I'll use that as a takeaway. But if, but if you're not talking about it, they just assume that you don't like it. Right. You know. Yeah. Or it's not for them. Or it's right. not for them. Exactly. That's a great, great point. Just have the conversation, I guess. You know? Yeah, we, we as clients, you know, I'm I'm a client. You know, I, I I want my hairdresser to tell me about stuff, you know. I also want my hairdresser not to be, you know, expecting that I have to buy it just because they talked about it and maybe I don't need it right now. You know, it takes me six months to go through a jar pump age. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so I mean, seriously, it's like cut me some slack here. <laughs> but, but you know, I'll take my hat off. They'll see me. It takes me even longer. <laughs> <laughs> but but seriously, by by mentioning it and by recommendations matter, and, and there's been research that says the client is, is much more likely to come back to you if you make recommendations, not necessarily sell stuff, because we're like, okay, you cared enough to tell me what to do, and that makes you a more of a professional in my mind. Actually, that's an that's an interesting number too, because I've I've heard that number saying that if you sell more retail, your retention is higher. But Gordon is saying that if you just offer it, then then you come off more as a professional, and then your your return rate is higher as well. As much as three times higher, according to a study that Procter and Gamble did when they were the owners of Wella. So you know, P and G um, professional, I think they were called, or salon professional owners of of Wella. I'm going back maybe five six five six years. They did a research study on this, and and that was exactly their point that the act of recommendation was very powerful. Wow, this is why I love Gordon. Man, he just throws out like what report it was and what the numbers were, and it's just there. He's not even looking it up. Like that's why we that's why we don't Google anymore. We Gordon. <laughs> Right. I have a good memory. <laughs> www.gordon.com. Yep. All, all, all your hairdressing information there. God, I, mean, I have to look up that site. It's probably a Japanese porn site or something. <laughs> <laughs> it is now. <laughs> I'm not looking up that site. No, let's not. Let's not. <laughs> okay. So, so uh, we've talked a little bit about what, what's been happening. Where, where do you see, um, I mean, I guess Amazon's a little bit, what could be happening, but let's get into, you know, tell us, tell us what 2019, um, where you kind of see the trends and in, in, in the, uh, in the stuff for uh, 2019, where, where do you see we're heading as an industry? I mean, I, I think um, the good and the bad news, you know, is again, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've been talking a lot about the salon of the future with people of recent, you know, that question comes up, it comes up from brands, it comes up from some of, you know, our, our, our famous friends, you know, Insta famous and not Insta famous. Right. Um, and then, and there's people I, I meet, you know, like, what, what, what are you seeing? What are you hearing about you know, the future of salons? And it's like, you know, the history of salons isn't that different than the present of, of salons, meaning that, you know, 80, 90%, it's all the same. It's a place where you go to have services done and there's the good, the bad and the ugly. And of course the great of that model of providing service and what's changed over those years, you know, just like in our homes, you know, I mean, the, the machines are better than they were. The ovens are better. The washing machines are better. Uh, in the salon, kind of the same stuff. And yes, we have technology, but the fundamental, the 80, 90% of what a salon is and what a salon does, I don't believe has changed very much in all this time. And, and I don't think it's going to change that much going forward. But um, the things that we can avail ourselves to provide a better experience, you know, those are all around us. So I think we're going to slow, we're kind of a slow, like a glacier of an industry. We kind of move slowly. And so I think, you know, we're going to see more of, of, adoption of stuff that will make everything better. You know, I, I think you're going to see, you know, the booking thing, you know, hopefully online booking like completely takes over because we have a long ways to go there still. <laughs> I, I, I think we are, 
as a society, we're becoming more comfortable with technology in our lives from our phones to our Alexas, which is listening to me right now. God only knows what she's thinking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> or probably serve up your podcast when we're done because that's what Alexa is doing. Um, and, and, but I think as we, and I think this is the key point, as we, as, as people become more comfortable with certain things in our lives, whether it's Amazon ordering or whether it's how we use our phones or whether our whether we use technology to control our environment, our Spotify playlists, as, as all that kind of becomes a bigger part of our regular lives, it will become a bigger part of our salon lives. And I think that's like the very nuanced little change. I think big, bigger picture, I think the economic stress that the industry faces will continue. Um, I think the economic opportunities, you know, which have always been here. I mean, they've always been, the opportunities in the industry have always been huge in part because most of the industry and every industry is average. So the opportunity to be better than average gives you the opportunity to stand out and standing out means that more than likely you're going to have more customers and more business. So a lot of the same with a very nuanced kind of, you know, movement forward, mostly as it relates to technology, I would argue. Yeah. And what's nice on the hairdresser side of it, you know, you see change where, or opportunity in the sense of, wellness you know what i mean like these you you have these retreats that are popping up everywhere to really help the hairdresser or the individual you know mind body and soul type you know spiritual just kind of let it all out and and recover you know like elizabeth has a retreat now and you kind of hear them elizabeth fay and you know we kind of hear about more and more of these retreats is this i mean i don't we Tony and i've been in the industry for about 30 years and i don't really recall uh, a big surge in like hairdressers helping hairdressers necessarily it seems like it's been brand specific for so many years. And I just, as of 2014, again, with Instagram, I kind of see more like hairdresser to hairdresser um, uh, communication. They've always been here. I mean, you go back to the, um, there was a conference called wise, you know, it's probably 15, 20 years ago. Um, that was predominantly um, it was a retreat for women that had a lot of, um, kind of uh, buzz, you know, going way back then um, in a certain part of the industry. Um, Ann Mincy and Mary Wilson have done retreats for probably 15 years. So I don't think it's a very new idea. I think because of Instagram, become we become more aware and there's more of them. But I would also say like with so many things, you know, it's like we, things get buzzy, right? And we're like, oh my God, it's a, it's a trend. I would argue that on the retreat side and a lot of other things that we see that when you do the math, it's not much of a trend. But I love that it's happening and I hope that it becomes one. And I, you know, I think we all know how important it is, especially in an industry where you take in people's stress all day, because that's what hairdressers do from their clients, I think, that these kind of ideas of taking better care of yourself and hairdressers helping each other do that, I think it's massively important and I hope it takes hold. But I would bet if you would add up all the people who went to the treats, the kind of retreats we're talking about right now last year or think about this year, I bet you it's not a thousand people in total. And it's probably more like, 300 max <laughs> out of again 800 and some thousand so great idea hope it takes hold i i mean on that note i mean starting your own retreat seems like a good idea too because like you said i mean there's 850,000 people that you aren't reaching you know with these retreats so is there space for that you know are people out of there no matter how big the retreat is it's never bigger than like 50 people right because otherwise it's it's no longer a retreat exactly right? it's, Exactly. So we'd have to have a lot of retreats to get everybody to them. But it's, you know, it's a niche and there's the economic factors. I mean, they tend to be expensive because they are. Mm -hmm. I I would also say, you know, I'll bet you there's a lot of hairdressers going to retreats that are more, again, general, not industry specific. 
you know, um, that they, you know, they just go to, they, you know, there's all kinds of ways we can, we can, you know, get ourselves healthy and, and happy and, and de-stress. And sometimes it's just going to get the weekly massage. But I, I do think retreats are big, becoming bigger in the industry because retreats are a bigger idea outside the industry that we've grasped onto in a good way. I think so. And, and, and I also think that, um, like you were saying earlier, like, you know, what we do as an industry, like we, um, we are very, nobody understands a hairdresser except other hairdressers, right? Nobody understands what, what standing behind the chair is like. So I think it's kind of nice when you have a bunch of like-minded people mm-hmm. that can, that can kind of hash that out. And, you know, like I know, I, I think Nina was doing a re- retreat as well, right? For a while. Um, yep. Yeah, I think she's got one coming up. Um, I think so. <laughs> but I kind of like how you're bringing in like these experts and like, you know, the people that you see that are, that are doing, you know, just the nuance really, really right. And being able to share that nuance, you know, definitely. Where do you see, or what's your opinion on like the, uh, the independent education? Cause it seemed like there was this big wave of it. And now the brands are starting to like, uh, you know, eat some of that up a little bit. Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've long said to my independent educator friends, you know, because there was a wave and you go back five years ago, it was like, it was a big thing. And it was kind of a cool thing to bash brands for some people at the time. And I was like, be careful who you bash, bash because every independent educator I know is an independent until someone gives them a contract. And so, <laughs> yep. and so you know, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I think if you, it, and, and I think, you know, there's some, there are some definitely exceptions. I think DJ Muldoon is one of the greatest independent educators in the industry. And, you know, he's doing his thing and he's doing it the way he wants to do it. And, you know, and I think it's amazing. And so, um, again, like, like you mentioned, Elizabeth, you know, I think that there's a space for this and the online digital and social tools we have, it's a democratization of marketing. So as anybody who, who aspires to be independent and for whatever those reasons are, the opportunity to make that happen has never been, you know, more powerful. So I think that's cool. But I do think like being a suite owner, right? Or being a chair rental, being your own boss, being in your own boss as an independent educator, it's not for everybody. It's a, it's a hard road. And um, so I think therefore, sometimes those folks, when you know they get spotted and the brand says, hey, you want to come on with us? Um, often they're ready because they've done all that hard work. And it's like, gosh, I would love to have a backend supporting me. And here's a great brand that makes great products and has a lot of integrity. And I feel like I fit. So, you know, more power to everybody. It's, it's the next, it's, you know, it's a step for many. It's a stepping stone to something else. But, well, what's the else? I mean, if you're in the brand, where else are you going to go, right? I mean, being an independent educator is a stepping stone. Oh, for many. And hey, here's the other side, which is amazing. Look, the average American spends five years on a job. That's the math outside of beauty. And we have this expectation for some weird reason in the beauty industry that we're supposed to like get a job and keep a job for the rest of our freaking lives. For a salon, how dare you leave my salon? You know, how dare you? And I've I've got memory loss when I left the salon where I worked and opened the salon. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm gonna judge other people. But you know, people, especially today, people change jobs, you know. So so you know, I think to have that stepping stone is actually not a bad thing. And I think there's just more opportunity and, and even maybe more acceptance of that today than there's ever been. That it's okay to move jobs, to move brands, to move salons, to move you know, the categories of stuff that we work in. I love that. And, you know, keeps you inspired, keeps you, I, I, you know what I mean? Just might keep you from leaving the industry, you know? And I think that's important to recognize. That's true. You know what? Very that's true. a, that's a great point. You know, yeah. it's a really great point. All right, Gordon, give us like I I don't know, give us a couple like super positive thing that's happening over the, uh, the next couple of years and, and things that are, that, that's really 
Was I being negative? <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that either. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I just okay. <laughs> no. Just checking. Um, I can I can go I can go there very easily. So you might drag <laughs> No, 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 you're fine. Knowingly. <laughs> no, you're fine. But just give us like like what like future trends or stuff not really to be trends. excited about. Yeah, yeah, just stuff to be excited about in the industry. I, I think one of the biggest is, and again, I, I, I put it out from a larger context beyond the industry. And I, I think all this technology, you know, all this access to information, you know, all this, like everything at your fingertips, um, you know, it can be challenging for some, but, but for many, you know, there's an, a level of empowerment that we've never seen before. You know, a person who's struggling in their career because perhaps they work at a salon that just doesn't provide education for whatever the reason is, you know, whether it's a, a lack of caring or a lack of resources or a lack of wherewithal, whatever the reason is. The fact that so much stuff is out there for us is, is hugely beneficial to everybody. And I, I do believe that more and more individuals are going to take advantage of this stuff. And I think that will help to propel the industry you know, incrementally forward in a good way. I think the biggest challenge around that is finding the right stuff, but I think brands are stepping into that. Again, L'Oreal uh, PPD, the, the, the larger parent company in the professional products division of L'Oreal, they're about to launch something called Access, and it's across all the L'Oreal brands, so it's Matrix and Redken, L'Oreal Professional, Karastas, and Mazzani, and whichever ones I'm forgetting. They will all share this platform. They'll be open to everybody, and they will curate. So they'll find the good stuff and stick it there. You know, and I think that, so I think that is a big, big positive opportunity Sometimes people look at the negative of all, of all this technology, and I think there's just so much positive in it. So that, that truly excites me. I also think that what I love about what's happening in social, you know, with influence, quote unquote, and I think every hairdresser is in a way an influencer, not, not as a job, but, you know, hairdressers have always had great influence. And I love that, you know, we're starting to see some maturing of this space and so many of those who have a voice, I think, are using it to empower their, their fellow professionals in ways that we've not seen in terms of reach. You know, we've always had great platform artists and educators who inspire. And they've been such an important part of the industry and, and opening people's eyes to their own potential. And I think social and digital and the folks who have, you know, you mentioned Alfredo, you know, who I adore. And so many, but he's a, such a great example of someone who has a platform and he's using it. I believe for the greater good, you know, and I, I think that is a, a game changing opportunity that is beginning to mature. And I think this younger generation is going to, is going to rock it in terms of using it to grow their own careers. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it's like, and, and like we mentioned earlier, and I, I think you just kind of mentioned it again, was that I do see this, this upswing in like, um, in, in hairdressers truly helping other hairdressers, you know, and, and, and it's person to person. And I think that, and I'm not, I'm not attacking the brands on any level, but I just don't, at that scale, it's really hard to like be able to touch every hairdresser. Um, I think as, as a, as the face of yourself, as your own brand, um, it, it's, it's a lot easier to kind of, to, to kind of touch, you know, individual hairdressers. And, and, and I love that, you know, I love that, that all, a lot of these influence you, you have access to. I mean, hell, we, we've created an entire podcast out of like Instagram access, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and again, I think though, it is all kind of a mirror image or maybe a, a, a progression from the old school stuff that was so powerful. I, I was just at Redkin Symposium. There were like some like 8,000 or so hairdressers there. I've been going to Redkin. I went to my first Redkin Symposium 25 years ago. That is the kind of event that does exactly what we're talking about here, you know, but in a, in a more macro level. 
but I, you know, whether it was the old salon association, whether it was Redkin Symposium, which was Paul Mitchell Gathering, I know so many salon owners who said my career was born at one of those events. I was somebody who was kind of doing it, you know, and, and getting through. And I went to one of those events and I met person X, a fellow salon owner or, or someone who was a salon owner that I, that I looked up to after I met them in person or an Ann Mincy or a Sam Via or a Robert Cromings and just go down across the industry. These old school and still current, you know, events um, are the foundation, I would say, you know, Veda Congress as well, of the creation of this, this small group of some of the best, finest salons in the country and some of the greatest hairdressers in the industry today across all ages, they come from that. And now what you just described is just supercharging what has always worked and continues to work. The old school stuff is so, we didn't really talk about it. And I know we're getting towards the end, but I always say to people who are struggling with social, I was like, Hey, if this isn't for you, just double down on the old school. Handing out business cards works. Asking for <laughs> referrals works. Recommending <laughs> products work. If, if, if Instagram's not for everybody. And I, I have friends who do hair who like, I'm not doing that, but I'm so busy. But I ask for referrals. I rebook my clients and I recommend product. And I've got a four-week waiting list. To, to the young people, that sounds like, you know, grandma, granddad trying to figure out a smartphone. Right? <laughs> but but it's, it's actually easier, you know, oh, it's absolutely here. So I, I think, you know, and it's great if you can do all of it, because we should in the old school, we talked about a marketing mix, you know, it's, it's like, you know, you did different things. It's just not you don't want to be a one trick pony. But so, yeah, if you, but if you're just that person who, who just can't wrap your head around it, you know, and hand out your freaking business cards. Yeah. <laughs> but like you said earlier, it, for the young people, you know, it's just, it's just going to be second nature to them. Uh-huh. Absolutely. Know? You know, we, yeah. we, we, we met a hairdresser that just graduated from school and, you know, she went straight into a suite and she's already booked out like, you know, months in advance, you know, that's, and that, that's and, her gift, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to, and I want to say something about that too, because, you know, we hear this all the time now and, um, and I'm so excited for those people. But I would also say, having watched the industry forever, and I believe it's true today, she's a unicorn. And 1,000% she's a unicorn. Yeah. And I would say to, to young people listening, you know, it's like, it's harder than it looks. And, and she is a unicorn. And I would say to anybody who wants to go independent, my first question to somebody who wants to go independent is, what time do you, have, in your current job, where you work for somebody, your commission stops, what time do you have to be at work? Have to, the answer is, let's pretend, uh, noon. I'm like, okay. When you're not working there anymore, are you disciplined enough to show up to work every day, your new work, your suite, your chair at noon every day? Are you, are you disciplined enough not to go home early? Are you disciplined enough to do all the things the salon was doing for you? Because if you're not, you maybe need to stay where you're at or find another version of that because independence is not for everybody. You know, I, 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 I work from home. You know, it took me a couple years to get really good at it and because uh, it's, it's not easy to be an independent person. No, that's that's a hundred percent correct. Yep. You know, we're talking about you know a community of hairdressers or a community of people giving back. And obviously, when you go to Hairbrain, uh, you know it, it's that's it, it's a community of of giving. I mean, there's so much information on Hairbrain. Uh, there's you know the people there. The, it's great. It, it's you know people who want to I guess learn and, and just up your your game, your craft. Uh, you know, obviously you have a huge part in, in, in your podcast, uh, you know, it obviously inspires Corey and I, we listen to it all the time. 
Um, but yeah, talk, talk to us about Ham Rain. Yeah, well, let me give you the, the, the kind of the short version, you know, founded by two hairdressers, you know, Randy Taylor, a brilliant hairdresser, videographer, and the full-time videography now, and then Gerard Scarpacey, you know, one of the best cutters I know, and again, brilliant educator, and these guys founded it 10 years ago as, as a way for educators to connect with one another and with their students, and it grew organically from, from 20 people. Um, to today, we have an extended social reach and platform reach of 850,000. And, and wow. our, on our core platform, we're at about 54,000 who are the most deeply embedded harebrainers, if you will. And, um, it, it's, uh, and what they share, you know, in terms of values when we survey them and talk to them is they absolutely um, are so proud and so committed to the craft of the doing of hair. And they um, also have just a huge belief in education, um, whether it's educating others or educating themselves. And so you know, those are the big core values. And I think that's what drives us. If you look at us on social, I think we look different than the quote unquote media. We're not part of media, but often people think of us that way. So, you know, I think we live in a really interesting and specific lane. We launched online learning this year um, or last year. We're in 2019 now, but um, back in May, we launched online learning. Um, over close to 5,000 courses now, you know, have been purchased on that site. It's hplive.me. Um, and we do it in a really different way. We're excited about that. We're going to be launching a conference, which I'm not going to say too much about, but there's going to be an event uh, towards the end of this year. I think it's going to blow people's minds. And, um, and yeah, every day, you know, we're just about hairdressers supporting hairdressers. So it's, uh, and I'm very honored and, and feel so lucky, you know, to, to have the job that I have. I love that. And, and like he said, I love that it's hairdressers supporting hairdressers. You know I mean? I think we, we've actually brought it up a couple of times on the podcast, you know, and like, and I think that that's, I think that that's our lane, frankly, you know, I think that that's, mm -hmm. that's I agree. And, and, and that's just really intriguing to me. And I can't wait to get off air. Cause I definitely want to hear about what's happening here in the, in the near future. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> that's awesome. So Gordon, if, um, if, uh, how do people get in touch with you? Uh, best way, you know, I, I'm, I'm love social um, Instagram, you know, is, is my jam. <laughs> so look for me on Instagram. It's Gordon M, but with one O. So um, at G O R D N as in Nancy M as in Mary. Um, that's me on Instagram. You can DM me. I'm really good about responding to people. Um, I, I, I would recommend that as the easy way to, to reach me. So don't Google it, Gordon. It. <laughs> Gordon exactly. Don't be visiting Gordon.com because we don't know what's <laughs> up. We, we, we have no idea what you're going to find. I'm going to look when, I hang, when we hang up. Though. <laughs> I actually reached out to someone on Facebook last night and I said, if you want to get in touch with me, I live on Instagram. I only visit Facebook. <laughs> well, you know, that's, you know, you know, let me just say this about Facebook. I think it's really important from a business perspective. I think it's depending on who your clients are, your prospective clients, you should be there. But I like you. You. I, I personally, I no longer participate. I, I professionally, Hairbrain's on there. We have a big presence. We're, we're on there every day. I'm on there every day. But personally, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, sorry, I used to adore you. I think you're destroying the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the Terminator, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of scared. I'd be nervous. But I, but I love social for our industry. I, again, marketing platform, genius, connectivity, inspiration for one another and support for one another. It's the best. The best. And mm -hmm. on that, can we say, Mr. Gordon Miller, thank you very, very much for joining us on your day off. It is my honor and pleasure. I'm so proud of you guys and all that you've done in this space. And I think you just provide such value to the industry. Um, again, I, I, I love that you invited me and I, I love that I can call you my friend. Please do me you.
Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> Yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, That's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.